reading is from Isaiah 64, verses 5 to 12. Isaiah Isaiah 64 from verse 5. Thou dost meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers thee in thy ways. Behold, thou wast angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And there is no one who calls on thy name, who arouses himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hidden thy face from us, and hast delivered us into the power of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou art potter. And all of us are the work of thy hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are thy people. Thy holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praise thee has been burned by fire. And all our precious things have become a ruin. Wilt thou restrain thyself at these things, O Lord? Wilt thou keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? This is one of uh, many uh, verses that you can find in the Old Testament that show that uh, God's people sometimes in the Old Testament also fell a long way from where they should be. And they suffered for it and they were estranged from the Lord But he still heard prayers like this and he restored his people. He preserved a church for himself. He preserved his elect throughout the Old Testament despite these things. And then would you also turn please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we're still dealing with this matter of perseverance or preservation of the saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll read verses 12 through to 22. The text for the sermon is verses 16 to 22. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labour among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Now our text through to verse 22. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then if you look in your bulletin, you will find... uh, a copy of the Westminster Confession, chapter 17, article 3, the last article in this chapter on perseverance. Article 3. Nevertheless, they, it's speaking about saints there, they may... Through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalise others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace which places us in your favour for we acknowledge that we do not deserve that favour. We thank you for the grace of election. We thank you for the grace of the work of the Lord Jesus on our behalf. We thank you for the grace of the work of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the grace and the privilege of being taught from your word. And Father, out of that same gratitude, would you now cause us to attend carefully to the word preached. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, with uh, four out of five of the five points of Calvinism, TULIP, we find that uh, very often opponents to those teachings feel that they somehow, four out of five of them at any rate, somehow squash man's freedom and undermine his motivation, the believer's motivation for Christian zeal and effort. Election is seen as a kind of harsh determinism that leaves no room for the believer's responsibility. After all, the argument goes, it's all fixed anyway, so why should we trouble ourselves to put any effort into anything? Limited atonement with the truth that the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is efficacious in such a way that it cannot be undone. When Jesus dies, one of the elect the effect of that cannot be undone. And so some argue, why worry about sin or pursuing holiness? What Christ has done can't be undone. Or irresistible grace, so we don't need to worry about uh, resistance or uh, grieving or uh, quenching of the unquenchable, the irresistible Holy Spirit. And the teaching that we have to do with this afternoon, Perseverance of the Saints, 
sometimes expressed rather clumsily this way, once a Christian, always a Christian. Uh, You can find uh, fault with that formulation of the doctrine, but some understand that to mean that therefore we don't need to worry about ungodly behaviour. We don't need to worry again about our pursuit of holiness because we will be preserved no matter what we do. Well, that is, of course, a caricature of Reformed teaching and of the five points of Calvinism. And I would suggest to you that the Westminster in this particular article and the others around in this section, but certainly this article 17, article 3, would never have been written if the Reformation had such a fatalistic approach to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Two points then as we look at our responsibility in persevering under God's preserving grace. First of all, help for preserving, or for persevering rather, and secondly, hindrances to persevering. Helps and hindrances. In the first place, uh, you may have noted that the Westminster in this article begins with the word, nevertheless. Articles 1 and 2 provided us with a statement of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, first of all, and then went on in the second article to give some biblical arguments to prove it. But in order to prevent a fatalistic understanding of it or approach to it, Article 3 begins with the word, nevertheless. In other words, notwithstanding the fact, the truth of perseverance, nevertheless, saints may fall into grievous sins. It may only be for a time, true, but nevertheless, it is still grievous. If you are a saint, God will surely preserve you until the end. But along the way, you will either act in order to please him in the Lord Jesus Christ or at certain points to displease him. And so the question is not so much, do I want to risk losing my place in heaven? Looked at from this ultimate angle, this preservation, God's preserving grace, we would say, No saint can ultimately lose his place in heaven, though God uses warnings like that in his word to uh, spur us on to take more care, no doubt about that. But perhaps another way of putting it, and a better question to ask, do I want to please the Lord or to displease him? Since perseverance, like sanctification, is a cooperative process, in which the Holy Spirit works in us using means, including our own desire to please the Lord, since it is cooperative, this is a very real question. Do you want to live and persevere in that which is pleasing to the Lord in your life, or do you not care? That's another way of putting the question. And if you do care, then what is going to help foster sanctification and what is going to help foster perseverance and what is going to hinder your progress in these things? If if the desire is there in your heart to persevere, then presumably you will want to know everything that can help so that you can use those helps and you will want to know everything that can hinder 
so that you can abstain from such things and avoid them. What helps is indicated in our text and it basically comes down to cultivating certain attitudes within us. It comes down to engaging in certain activities and also to seeking help from the Lord through his appointed means. And the reason why I chose this text is because we find this, this, uh, this part of the text uh, is set, this part of the chapter is set in the context uh, between two important subjects. One of those is the warning about the coming day of the Lord. And that when the, on the day when the Lord returns, there are those who are going to be spiritually asleep, who are not being alert, they're not being sober and, and alert as they wait for the coming of the Lord. They have fallen asleep, so to speak. Verses 1 to 11. And then our verse is sandwiched between that and a kind of prayer that the Lord will work his work of sanctification and preservation in his people. And what we're looking at here then comes in between those two things, set in that context of being alert and persevering and waiting for the day of the Lord without falling asleep. And that really is what persevering is about. In terms of the means that God uses to help us in that, well, I think we're very familiar with the term means of grace. We use that quite a lot in our circles, means of grace. Uh, These are the things that the Lord uses to strengthen the faith that he has given us as a free gift. And as many of us would know, the main means of grace that he uses are the preaching of his word, or the word perhaps we would say in general, uh, also the sacraments, and the Westminster adds in prayer into that as well. So word, sacrament, and prayer as the main means of grace by which God strengthens our faith. But I'd like you to note that the Westminster in this article also speaks of means of preservation. So it's not just means of grace to strengthen, but also to preserve the elect. And the means he uses for the preserving are essentially the same means that he uses for as means of grace to strengthen our faith. Because preservation is, after all, ongoing strengthening of faith. Preservation is a a form of sanctification. It is ongoing sanctification that keeps on going right through to the end with the result that we persevere until the end. We see some emphasis on these means in our text, but we shouldn't perhaps limit it to the usual things we talk about as means of grace. There are some other things that are mentioned here that are also important for being alert, staying awake, waiting for the Lord to return and enjoying his sanctifying and preserving grace. In verse 20, we have a warning against despising prophetic utterances. In New Testament times, these were an aspect of special revelation. Special revelation is God communicating to his people in some verbal form. And some of that, much of that communication in biblical times involved prophets coming along and delivering, verbally delivering a message, a message from God. That's what's meant by utterance, a spoken message. And some of those utterances were written down 
inscripturated, put into the Bible, but not all of them. And whether they were written down in the Bible or whether you just heard them when a prophet stood up and delivered a message from God, either way, God's people were not to despise it. It was to be taken seriously because it came of the work of the Holy Spirit. It came from God. And so it must be taken seriously. But of course, today in our time, we don't have anything like that. We don't have any new utterances. Uh, We don't have prophets standing up and saying, I've got a new message from God. All of the utterances that we have are the ones that have been recorded in the scripture. And that is now what we have to work to. And so now for us, not despising utterances means not despising the written word of God. That's the closest equivalent we have. We have to take that word seriously. To study it, to meditate on it, to apply it. And when we do that, God uses it as a means to enable us to persevere in the faith until the end. Sacraments, of course, are not mentioned here, but I want to really include that, uh, at least in this point, under the uh, same heading, really, as the Word of God and not despising the Word of God because sacraments are, in essence, another form of the Word of God, sometimes referred to as visible word, a form that appeals to our senses. And that's not uh, drawn attention to specifically here in this text. But the other means, prayer, certainly is. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Uh, Don't uh, lapse into neglecting prayer or perhaps praying only at mealtimes or when something big comes up. Pray continually. Pray regularly in all kinds of situations involving all different aspects of prayer that the the scripture teaches. Uh, Praise, uh, thanks, intercession, supplication. Pray during times of anxiety and fear. Pray during times of joy, times of sadness. Because prayer is something that draws us, it draws us back again and again to the sovereignty of our God. You wouldn't pray, not truly from the heart, if you didn't believe in the sovereignty of God, the God who is able to hear and answer all prayers according to his will. So prayer drives us back again to the sovereignty of God. It reminds us again and again of the goodness of God, that he cares enough to listen to us and answer our prayers to help us. It draws us back again to the grace of God, that we don't, who don't deserve to be heard nevertheless have a hearing with our God. And it draws us, reminds us of our dependency upon our Lord, all of which are things we need to believe in in order to be motivated to persevere and in order to have the assurance that we will persevere because this is the God who preserves us, the God who is sovereign, who is good and who is gracious. Note that thankfulness uh, in prayer, in the context, but perhaps also in general, is singled out in verse 18. The attitude of gratitude another thing that helps us to persevere. We're thankful to God for his grace, for his mercy, for his help. And when we remember that, we are remembering the very attributes and works of God that enable us to persevere. We express our 
trust in him also when we remember these things. You wouldn't be able to be thankful if you didn't trust that they were true. So trust and thankfulness. Things that increase our desire to persevere. Things that increase our desire to persevere in being able to keep showing gratitude to God as we serve him. Things that increase our desire to stick close to him because we're thankful for who he is and what he does. And then we find a similar thing with the fruit, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, joy. Verse 16, rejoice always. And maybe this is something that you haven't thought about before in terms of what has joy to do with perseverance. I haven't thought about it before, but it struck me as I was working through this passage that it is relevant. It's also extremely difficult to define joy, as I've mentioned before. Uh, Because we're not talking with joy about a superficial emotional happiness that goes up and down. We are, uh, well, uh, to do the best I can in defining joy, Christian joy, I would regard it as a profound and deep sense of the rightness of God's will, which causes us and leads us on then to delight in the blessedness and the goodness of that will and to approve of it even when it brings upon us events that occasion pain and grief. In other words, in that last part there is joy at work when we are able to say in the midst of pain and grief, nevertheless it is well with my soul. That's joy speaking. My question is this, how could you possibly persevere in the faith? How would you even want to persevere in the faith through all of the griefs and the hurts of life if you didn't have that attribute, that attitude rather, or that fruit at work in your life? Like gratitude, joy is an attitude that needs to be fed and watered by meditation on scripture by fixing our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, by praying for the help of the Holy Spirit, that we may be helped to live out of that fruit in our life so that we may delight in the goodness and blessing of God's will so that we may also uh, heartily approve of his will even when things happen that we do not enjoy. Well, when we look in the second and final place at hindrances to perseverance, obviously that's going to involve the opposite of what we've seen in the first point, but I don't simply want to reverse the things that we've just looked at, but go into a bit more detail in some other aspects of them. So first, let us consider what it means to despise prophetic utterances. There are many ways of despising God's word. There is, of course, the total rejection of it that comes with unbelief, and that is the worst kind, the worst kind of despising God's word. But there is also that which occurs on occasion in God's people that comes with disobedience. And here I'm talking about something in a believer's life. Especially when we know better but when we convince ourselves that our disobedience is justified or when it's so minor that God's not going to care 
or when we feel that we have extenuating circumstances for doing differently than what God has said, or when we conclude that the traditional view of what Scripture says maybe is not quite so simple, it's maybe not so clear, we can question a few things and in that vagueness slip through and do the things that we really want to do, the sinful things we really want to do. So there is a measure in that at that point of despising God's word. This is, of course, less deep-rooted than the despising that you find in the case of the unbeliever. It's something in the Christian that comes out of the outer man. So it's not so deep in us, but nevertheless, it is something that hinders the progress in our sanctification, that which is aimed at our perseverance. Then another way is simply by neglect. A failure to read God's word regularly, which would seem to imply that in such a believer that he isn't really greatly interested in what the Lord has to say to him. He isn't terribly interested in the the grace that God gives, the grace of sanctification, the grace of perseverance, because we know that comes through the scripture and the application of it. So if we don't want to study that word regularly, the implication would seem to be we don't care very much about those things. The same is true with neglect of church attendance, including the second service, which would seem to imply that we are choosing not to be fed by the preaching of God's word because it's not that important to us. Neglect is really just another form of disobedience. Similar observations may be made about the sacraments, since they also are means of grace, though I mention this as something of an aside as far as the text is concerned. But I would like to put this to you that it is very easy for us to absent ourselves, perhaps... Uh, more easy for us to do today than maybe a number of decades ago in the life of our churches. That it's much easier, there are many more distractions, many more things we could be busy. When we know when the Lord's Supper is coming up, when we know there's a baptism coming up, but there's other things we would rather do, we would rather visit our friends in another church or whatever else it may be. And I don't say there are no good reasons for that. I know there are commitments that sometimes are made before the dates are known for Lord's Supper and certainly for the baptisms. But let us all seek to be present whenever we can so that there may not be even the slightest hint and we may not even appear to be acting like those who, and here I quote from the Lord's Supper form, despise God's word or the holy sacraments. Despise in this case meaning putting it on a lower priority and making somewhat light of it when there are other things we would rather do. Then there is the danger of neglecting prayer. Often we find this uh, as elders on home visits that uh, uh, many of us, perhaps all of us have or most of us have struggled at some point in our lives to be faithful and regular in reading the scripture. Uh, Quite a few members in our congregation admit that they do struggle with that. So if you have that struggle, you're certainly not alone. But what we frequently find is that people who say they struggle with that will quickly say, but I don't, str- I don't have the same problem with prayer. I pray regularly. 
Well, let us hope then that that uh, prayer is uh, something that is done carefully and thoughtfully, not just talking about the prayers we make every day when we pray, say, uh, just before mealtime, quick mealtime grace, but rather the kind of prayer that comes is something that is done carefully and thoughtfully, arising that we have enough self-discipline and enough interest in prayer, even if we don't have it so much for reading the scripture, that we do have it enough for prayer, that we are able to come with a thoughtful and meaningful and well-considered prayer, uh, one that covers the various elements that ought to be in our prayers, praise of God, thanks of God, confessing our sins, interceding for others, bringing our own supplications for ourselves and others, in other words, things that take time and effort. Even if we don't have the self-discipline and interest to do that for reading the scripture, let us at least have the self-discipline for that, but better still, for both. It is also important to note that neither prayer nor our attention to reading scripture or sitting under the preaching of it, nor our use of the sacraments will help us without the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 warns against quenching the Holy Spirit. You know what quenching is? You take a white hot piece of metal and you stick it into a bucket of water and there's a lot of hissing and bubbling and a big cloud of steam comes up. Quenching or uh, the word can also mean extinguishing, putting a fire out. So quenching the Holy Spirit, which uh, no doubt is rather similar to what is said in Ephesians 4 verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And in this connection, I'd like to point out that word and spirit work together. So if you despise or neglect the word of God, you are, as much as lies in you, dishonouring or hindering, if that were possible, the work of the Holy Spirit too. Because it is a little bit like if you hire a builder to come around and work on your house and uh, he comes along with his tools, and then when he's not looking, you hide the tools. Say, please get on with the work. I'm all in favour of that, but you take his tools and hide them. And uh, that is the, the uh, way in which that affects both the, the tools themselves, the instruments, as well as the builder. The Holy Spirit and the word that he uses as a means of grace. Or there is another way in which this can happen. If we try to understand and apply God's word, but we try and do it in our own strength and in our own intellect without the aid of the Holy Spirit, then again, there is a dishonoring and as far as that lies in us, a hindering of the work of the Spirit. Or if you take the fruits, the graces, the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you and you let them lie untouched, undeveloped and unused. Again, the same implication. Since we are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the exercising and using of these things, the fruits, the gifts that we've been given, the means of grace, the scripture and prayer, we do all of that in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And if we don't do that, then in some way we are working against the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit is... Sovereign, completely sovereign. And he cannot ultimately be hindered. He cannot ultimately be quenched like that iron, that white hot iron put into the bucket 
or a, a candle that's snuffed out. He cannot be extinguished. But if you give way to sin and laziness and self-gratification dominating your life and so forth, then the spirit is grieved. And when the spirit is grieved, he may partially withdraw from your life. And that is what is meant by quenched. The Westminster describes it this way, that you may then be deprived of some measure of grace in your life. You may be deprived of some measure of comfort in your life. You may find that your heart is partially hardened and your conscience wounded and hardened as well. And there may as a result be some temporal judgment that comes upon you in this life. And of course also you can do harm to others, hurt others. And none of that, not a single aspect of that, helps in any way with your perseverance or for that matter, the perseverance of others who are watching what goes on in your life. Well, at the end of the day, if you are a true Christian, you will persevere, because the Lord will preserve you. But along the way, a lot of damage can be done. It can be done to you, and it can be done to others. If you become uncooperative at some point, as we all do at some point, Worst of all, you can incur a lot of displeasure from the Lord. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not an emotion as grief is for us. It is an expression using human terms of God's attitude of displeasure when we give in to sin. Do you really want that? Do you want to quench the Spirit? Do you want to grieve Him? Do you want to incur God's displeasure? Do you want to act as if the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and his message, his word to you means little to you? If you do not want those things, then attend to the means of grace. Strive for that which he will use for your benefit, for your preservation. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, do not let us take our preservation for granted. Since you use means to keep us on the right track, will you move us to take full advantage of those, those means and to resist anything that would take us away from them? At the same time, Father, would you grant that the promise of preservation would continue to comfort us as part of our assurance of salvation, that these two things would work together your sanctifying and preserving grace and the grace that comes with assurance as part of the gift of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We ask the Lord to guide us so that we remain in his ways. Psalter hymnal 43, stanzas 1 to 4. We'll stand to sing. And would you please remain standing for the blessing and doxology. 43, stanzas 1 to 4.
blessing is our doxology. We go back to 170 again and sing the last stanza, stanza four. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.